The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Luke. Glory to you, O The rulers sneered at Jesus and said, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the chosen one, the Christ of God. Even the soldiers jeered at him. As they approached to offer him wine, they called out, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Above him there was an inscription, that read, This is the king of the Jews. <coughs> now one of the criminals hanging there reviled Jesus, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. The other, however, rebuking him, said in reply, Have you no fear of God? For you are subject to the same condemnation. And indeed, we have been condemned justly, for the sentence we received corresponds to our crimes. But this man has done nothing criminal. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He replied to him, Amen, I say to you. Today you will be with me in paradise. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning, everybody. In the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. What a glorious day. Uh, well, word of thanks to all those who came and helped out yesterday at Bill's funeral. I don't know if you were here, but it was a beautiful, beautiful funeral. Everything flowed out well. Probably one of the best funerals I've done ever. So, uh, not, not to gloat, but it was a beautiful, it's a beautiful day. It was a victorious day, so praise God. Huh? I love it when, when Christians die well. When, when we die well. It was a beautiful way, because Bill knew what he was doing. He received all the sacraments, surrounded by his family and friends. And not many of us are gifted with that beautiful way. And so when we do witness that, we praise the Lord. And afterwards, uh, I'll be joining the family. We have a private burial service for Bill. And he'll be joining, of course, he'll be near David Bradley. Of course, our other brother passed away a couple years ago. And he'll be at Satley. So if you ever want to visit Bill, he'll be up at Satley. And so we'll be doing that after Mass today. Praise the Lord. Another joyous occasion, of course, for the Lopez family. We're going to baptize a little baby. We're going uh, to do that after the homily. Listen to the prayers, by the way. And we'll actually, in place of the creed, we'll renew our baptismal vows, which we all made, or our parents made for us when we were baptized. Notice the prayers. There's a rite in there that's called the exorcism rite. When you were baptized, you were exorcised, by the way. And because, as we say, we, we claim a baptized child for Jesus Christ. Because we mock the enemy, and we claim a new soul for God. And so when you listen to those prayers, and when I ask you those questions boldly, Reject Satan. I'm going to boldly reject him. I want him to tremble in fear 
at the cry of the Christian people when we reject him. And so boldly, when we ask you those questions, do you reject Satan? I do. So we're going to do all that after the homily, if I ever get done talking. (laughs) What a glorious day. Be baptized, by the way. You chose a perfect day because today is a solemnity. Check out this title, by the way. This is an amazing title. I love this title. As we now come to the end of one liturgical season and we'll begin for the next four Sundays, the season of Advent. So the colors change and the tone of the readings change as we get ready to welcome our Lord and Savior on Christmas Day. Check out this title. The Solemnity of Our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe. Love that title. Can you imagine that if you walked around? So what do you do? I'm the King of the Universe. It's it's, it's an amazing title. Powerful title. But this feast day is actually relatively new in the history of the church. It was started in 1925. And in a church that's 2,000 years old, this is a new day that we celebrated. It was instituted by Pope Pius XI. In the letter that he wrote explaining the rationale why he wanted the church to celebrate this day, he says this, and I'll quote it at length. He writes, The manifold evils in the world were due to the fact that the majority of men had thrust Jesus Christ and his holy law out of their lives. That these had no place either in private affairs or in politics. As long as individuals and states refuse to submit to the rule of our Savior, there would be no real hopeful prospect of lasting peace among nations. Men must look for the peace of Christ in the kingdom of Christ. What do you think Pope Pius XI was referring to when he says the manifold evils of this world? 1925, what is happening on the world stage? What are we just recovering from? World War I. Remember, from 1914-1918, the nations of the world were thrust into, into a scale of war that was unseen before. Unseen. Because now you're having modern warfare coming into play, aren't we? And we became extremely efficient at killing each other. There's a sheer numbers to kind of give you a sense. Because again, remember, warfare up to this point did not reach the, the level that it did. Nine million soldiers were killed. Another seven million civilians wiped out. And shortly after that, too, and some say indirectly, the Spanish flu breaks out in the 1920s because of the conditions of, of the nations, of, of, the condi- of, uh, of when they became back home from the war. And the sheer numbers of that was staggering. From the Spanish flu epidemic, it is said on the low end, 50 million people died from the Spanish flu. On the high end, people even say 100 million. 3% of the total population of Earth died in the Spanish flu epidemic in the 1920s. And so what's happening in the 20s is is this huge, gaping shock to the human consciousness. Never before have we seen this. 
And then also to make matters worse, during this decade of the 20s, in 1927, our neighbor to the south in Mexico, a vicious anti-government comes into power. President Plutarco Elias Calles. He would launch a brutal, brutal persecution against us in that country. It will be now known as the Cristero War, where the government will go on and close our churches. They would kill thousands of priests and nuns and Catholic faithful. And beautifully, the Mexican people rose up in revolt against the government. And that beautiful cry to this very day, the rallying cry, when our soldiers would go into battle, they would yell out, Viva Cristo Rey! Viva la Virgen de Guadalupe! They fought for, 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 the, for, the, for religious freedom. Because what does, what does every tyrannical government try to do? It tries to uplift itself even above religion. And that was the same thing that they were doing in Mexico. But we said no. The government is not the center of our lives. Jesus Christ is the center of our lives. And we will die for that. And so the Holy Father saw this, and he's looking at the world stage, and he's saying, my God, what is happening? Nations killing each other at levels we've never seen before. Think about it. What was happening? What is the root of conflict? Not only on the level of nation states, but even on our own individual level. The grasp for power, isn't it? Conquer. My will be done. That's the reason why we fight individually. That is why we fight amongst parties. That's why we fight amongst nation states. It's not that much different. Just on a grander scale. And look how beautiful that the readings contrast against this spirit of power, of domination. We're at the foot of the cross. Strangely, we're celebrating Christ the King of the universe, and the church gives us the scene of the crucifixion. So here we are, Jesus now, he's crucified. He's surrounded on the left with the thief, and on the right, another thief. Notice the dialogue here. The rulers the powers, right? states, sneered at Jesus. If you are the chosen one, the Christ of God, let him save himself. Right? Save yourself, Jesus. Jesus responds in silence. Says nothing. And the soldiers begin to jeer at him. He says, if you are the king of the Jews, Save yourself. You, if, you, if you are this mighty king, if you are the Christ, and that's what that name means, Jesus Christ, that's not his surname. <laughs> it's a title. It comes from the Greek word Christos, which means the anointed one. Because whenever a king was anointed, what well, was named king, he would be anointed with oil on his head. So that's what the name means. Christ means the anointed one. And at this time period, the Jews were waiting for a new king. And here they have Jesus Christ who claimed to be the king. They said, well, Jesus, if you are the real king, save yourself. Silence. 
than one of the criminals hanging beside him, reviled Jesus, saying again, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself. You hear the language? Hear that, hear that language? You, you, you. Me, me, me. Because at the same time period, whenever we think of kings, what do we, what do, what's the immediate next image that we think of? Power. Wealth. Mighty armies. Conquering armies, don't we? And so they're saying to Jesus, Jesus, if you're this so-called king that we've been waiting for, fight, conquer, dominate. Jesus remains quiet. Notice now, our Lord, as he's standing there, and he's, he's pinned there, nailed on the cross, remember, he was utterly humiliated there. When the Romans would crucify you, they crucified you naked. Always keep that in mind. Whenever you see a cross, I want you to say, that is historically inaccurate. The only reason why we cover Jesus with a loincloth is to protect his modesty. But they crucified you naked because, again, they wanted to strip every ounce of you. They wanted to humiliate you. And so there is Jesus there, pinned on the cross, battered and bloodied, literally naked on that cross. And they're mocking him, laughing at him, the king of the universe. Silence. But notice now when, here's the amazing thing. Notice when Jesus does finally answer. Now the good thief on the other side of Jesus begins to argue with the other thief. He says, don't you have any fear of God? We are condemned justly. So he chastises the other criminal, then he turns to Jesus. Now notice the response. This good thief humbles himself and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Notice now, Jesus is there literally hanging naked, no power whatsoever. But this good thief penetrates the mystery and he says, Ah, he's the true king. Remember, they're surrounded by soldiers, by armies, mocking him. And then Jesus turns to this good thief. You can almost see Jesus finally saying, This one finally gets it. He gets it. And he turns to him in that beautiful phrase, which I pray that we all hear one day. Amen, I say to you, you will be with me in paradise. Do you see the great contradiction here? The mighty powers of the world who crucified Jesus, who mocked him, who mocked the creator of the universe, which we hear in the first reading, or rather in the second reading, through Christ, whom all things were made. The mighty powers of the world mock the great king. And how the powers of this world always use its strength to dominate, to conquer. But rather, not our king. You see, Jesus Christ approaches humanity in utter humility, doesn't he? 
Why is that? It's because God approaches us in love. Each and every single one of us. He doesn't approach us like every other tired, conquering force, which says, my will be done, and it's all about me. No, no, not, not so among us. Rather, God approaches us in utter humility. Because God approaches us with love, not force. I want to read you a quote. I'll quote it at length, so, so bear with me. It was written by an unknown Carthusian monk. The Carthusians are one of the church's most strict religious orders. The life they live is it's utterly amazing. They live in little, what's called little hermitages. They live in, in solitary confinement, if you want to say that. And they only come together for, for prayer in the chapel and for mass. It was founded in around the year 1073, more or less. And there's about 400 of them in the world, spread, spread all throughout the world. And they live a radical, intense life with Jesus Christ. So bear with me in that quote. All genuine love is a victory of weakness. Loving is not dominating or possessing, imposing oneself on the person loved. Loving means that one welcomes the other person without putting up any defenses. In return, one is certain of being welcomed totally by that person without being judged or condemned or compared. There are no more trials of strength between those two people who love each other. There is no longer any fear of danger of coming from the other person. This experience, even if it always remains imperfect here, is already convincing. Yet it is only a reflection of the divine reality. From the moment we began to believe truly in our hearts, in God's, in God the Father's infinite tenderness, we feel in some way compelled to descend further and further into a joyful acceptance of not having, not knowing, and not being able. This does not entail any unhealthy self-humiliation. We are simply entering to the world of love and trust. You see what this monk is getting at? Love is not about domination, conquering, or imposing one's will. Love truly is a victory of weakness, where the two people now approach each other in utter humility. Let the world conquer. Let the world fight. Let the world selfishly focus on oneself. Let them do that. For us Christians, we're called to love like the good thief, in utter humility. Because that's how God approaches each and every one of us. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.